You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, I Am the Resurrection and the Life, is part five in the series, I Am For You, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. What a great time of worship we've had already today. Uh, I don't know about you, but I needed that. Thank you so much to our band. Thanks, everybody, for being here, singing along, lifting up the Lord together. And at this time, I want to ask you to find in your Bible John chapter 11, the Gospel of John and chapter 11. For the past month, I've been preaching about the true identity of Jesus. And I don't think this has ever been more important to talk about than it is right now because we live in a time where you're going to hear a lot of misunderstanding about the identity of Jesus and who he is and why he came. Uh, In fact, the Apostle Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 3 and 4 that just as Satan, here's what he said, just as Satan deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, we are in danger of being deceived and our minds being corrupted from uh, the, uh, the pure, simple truth of who Jesus is that we read about in Scripture, and, and we, we may end up believing something that's not true at all. And uh, so we need to make sure that we are right on this because if we're not right on who Jesus is, then we're really wrong about everything else. And so here's what we're doing. We're we're going back to the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' original disciples, an eyewitness of the life and ministry of Jesus. And uh, we're just going back to see what John says about who Jesus is. So I've asked you to turn to his Gospel, John chapter 11. And uh, here's what we've been looking at lately Uh, something called the I am statements of Jesus. Here's what John did. It's pretty cool. John uh, builds in sort of a code into his gospel, his story of Jesus. uh, And and it's, it's kind of a cool hack that he gives us for understanding Jesus. What you look for in the gospel of John is the seven times that Jesus said the words I am. And when you find that, and what Jesus added to that, and you add all seven of those together, what you end up with is a really clear picture of how Jesus wants us to understand who he is. And, and so here's what we've found so far. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Uh, whoever eats of me will never hunger. Uh, I am, next he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, Then Jesus said, I am the door, and whoever enters by me will be saved. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so let's add to that today the fifth one of these, and it's what Jesus says in John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so let's get to it in John chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus 
of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so here's the deal. Jesus was good friends with this family. Uh, It was Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus would go to their home in the town of Bethany and he would visit them Uh, But that's not where we find Jesus in this chapter. You see, Jesus and his disciples had been doing ministry in Jerusalem. And then Jesus said something that just caused the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, to lose their minds. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And they knew what he meant by that, that Jesus was claiming, I am the Lord I am your good shepherd. I am God in the flesh. And uh, and they couldn't bear that. They tried to kill him. The Bible says they picked up stones to stone him to death. And uh, and yet, uh, this was not Jesus' time to die. And so the Bible says that Jesus, along with the disciples, escaped Jerusalem. And they went east about two days' journey across the Jordan River, and they were ministering there. And so we pick up in verse 3. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, apparently Jesus told them where he was going, they sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And they're talking about their brother, Lazarus. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Uh, Now, some of you have had the experience with a loved one that Mary and Martha had with their brother. Uh, One day, Lazarus starts not feeling well. He has to go to bed and then he gets really sick and then he takes a turn and he gets deathly ill. And at that point, Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus and they say, hey, go get Jesus. Tell him to come back and hurry. And when Jesus gets that message, what he does is a little strange. I mean, he just calmly says, Well, this sickness is not leading to death, but it's for the glory of God. Interesting, right? Because in saying that, uh, Jesus informs us that there is a category of suffering in our lives that we don't like to talk about. And that is that sometimes... God allows sickness or some hardship or some loss or delay or some other kind of suffering to come into our lives that he could stop if he wanted to stop it. And yet he allows that thing to come into our lives for the purpose of his glory. Either through him just healing us or delivering us or by giving us the grace to just praise him right in the middle of that thing. 
And either way, he gets the glory. Sometimes we don't know what's going on, but here's what we can always know. He's got a plan. He has a plan. And he's going to give us either deliverance or the grace to bear up under it and to give him glory and to witness for his name. So that's what's going on with Lazarus. Jesus said this is a sickness not ultimately leading to the death of Lazarus, Lazarus, but instead it's for, it's for my glory. And so instead of rushing to Lazarus' bedside to heal him, Jesus waits two days. Now, add it up, he's already two days away from where Lazarus is. And so uh, he waits two days. If he's going to get there, he might be too late. And yet Jesus knows what he's doing. And so uh, how many of you would say, and th this is a comical thing, how many of you would say that you have a little bit of a, uh, a weird or a different sense of humor, a little twisted sense of humor? Anybody admit that? You're going to like this part, okay? You're going to like this part. Because Jesus tells his disciples his plan. Here's what he says. He says, hey, our friend Lazarus is sleeping and I'm going to go wake him up. And, and the disciples just didn't get it. It went completely over their heads. And they said, well, Jesus, if he's sick, he needs his rest. And so that's good. If, if he's sleeping, then um, maybe don't wake him up. He needs his sleep. And you can almost see Jesus just roll his eyes. And, and, and then he says, look, guys, Lazarus is dead. He just plainly says it. Lazarus is dead, and I'm going to wake him up. Get it? No, they didn't get it. It's just crickets from the disciples. And so Jesus finally says this. He says, look, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there to heal Lazarus because now I'm going to go do something that is going to impact your faith forever. You're never going to forget this, and it's going to impact your faith forever. So let, let's read about it. Verse 17, Jesus and the disciples go to Bethany, right? It's now four days since he got the message. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So Lazarus is four days dead at this point. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women. That is, probably they came from Jerusalem. They came out to their house in the country. They joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So I want you to just think about what Martha and Mary have gone through here. Their brother gets sick, and, and they, they, they care for him. They're waiting on him. They, at his bedside, are praying for him as he just gets worse and worse by the hour. They watch as he just is withering away, and so they send for their good friend Jesus, who had healed so many others, to come and help and to heal Lazarus, and yet for Lazarus, Jesus is a no-show. 
and, and they sit with Lazarus through the night and they're looking out the window. Is Jesus going to show up in time? We know he can help. Where is Jesus? They sit with him through the night. They're, 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 they're counting the time between his breaths and, and, and they then hear the death rattle and the gasp and then he's gone. He's gone. And so imagine the emotion that Martha has when she says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she adds this in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And uh, Martha didn't get it. He says, your brother will rise again. She said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She had her theology correct. She knew there's coming a day at the end of time when there's going to be a great rising up, a resurrection of, of all the saints, all believers. And she said, yeah, I know and we've all said that, right? Hey, they're better off. You're going to see them again someday. But it doesn't help in the moment too much, does it? To know that that's so far off. What about the pain that I'm dealing with right now? Uh, so look what Jesus says to her in verse 25. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. There's our I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? It's all this emotion. Jesus, if you'd only come, my brother would not have died. And he says he'll rise again. Yeah, I know, someday. But Jesus said, present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's what I think Jesus meant. He was saying, look, Martha, I'm not talking about seeing your brother again someday in that far off end time resurrection of the saints that will happen someday. I just said your brother will rise again. And here's what I'm telling you, Martha. You don't have to wait for someday to happen when the resurrection just walked into your front yard. The resurrection just showed up. You're talking to the Lord of life. And if I want to tell death to get lost right now, I have the authority to tell death, get lost right now. When I say your brother will rise again, I'm not talking about someday. I'm talking about today. Now, watch this teachable moment with Martha. I don't know if she completely got it, but I love her heart. Look at verse 25 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, he's talking about physical death as opposed to spiritual death. Though he may die physically, he shall live. Whoever believes in me. Verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That is, it won't be permanent. Our body may die, but our spirit will be alive forever with the Lord. Uh, she said to him, and, and don't you love her heart? She said to him, 
Uh, well, he, he says in verse 26, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. I just love that. Uh, that she may not have gotten the whole picture, but she believes. And Martha is ready. She's ready. Her heart is leaning in toward a miracle already. Uh, that's Martha. What about the other sister? What about Mary? Well, skip down to verse 32, and, uh, and Mary comes out, says the same thing her sister said. Watch this, verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing her sister said, and yet watch how Jesus treats her differently and aren't you glad that that he he knows us individually and he treats us all in a special way uh he treats mary in a more tender way here's how i think about it martha was a woman who was sort of all about the facts mary was more about the feelings and so that's how jesus deals with her look at verse 33 Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. It would be hard to find stronger emotional words than those to describe someone's grief. Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept little verse big meaning then the jews said see how he loved him and some of them said could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying yeah he could have but jesus had another plan verse 38 then jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, and, and here's Martha just keeping it real. Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. And this is interesting. Jesus prays out loud for the benefit of those who were gathered around the tomb, Mary and Martha and the others. He, he had already communicated with his father. He already knew the plan, but he did it for their benefit. Watch this. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And so he's making this announcement, Lord, what I'm about to do, you sent me to do. And so here's what happens. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Wait a minute, I didn't read that right. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he, I love this verse, he who had died came out 
bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Wow. There's no way in just reading that that I can, I can completely convey all of that is involved in that. This is an amazing, astounding miracle that Jesus has just performed. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead with two words, come forth. Jesus did the impossible. He, he defied every experience Mary and Martha had ever had with death in their lives. Up to this point, every experience Mary and Martha ever had with death told them this, dead people don't come back. I mean, once somebody is dead and buried, they are gone. You're not going to see them on this side of heaven. And, and with those two words, come forth, Jesus brought his dead friend Lazarus back to life. And verse 44 is just crazy, isn't it? I, I, I got hooked on this verse this week. It, look how it describes Lazarus. He who had died came out. He had died. You've never seen that before. Somebody who had died, and now he's walking out alive. He comes hopping and shuffling out of that cave, and, and, and the, the impossible has just taken place. I love what uh, the late Charles Finney said. He said, if Jesus had not uh, identified Lazarus, come forth. If he had just said, come forth, every dead person in Israel would have gotten up out of their grave and walked out. <laughs> but he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. He came back to life. So uh, from this, let me tell you what uh, has blessed my heart this week. And that is thinking about three gifts of Jesus in this chapter. Three gifts of Jesus. And that he gave then and he's still giving today. I want to share them with you in the time we have left. Number one, for the hurting, Jesus gives love. I don't want us to skip over this part. I mean, we read that incredible miracle, but before that, we don't need to skip over this love that Jesus had for those who were hurting. And uh, Jesus was known for his love. In this chapter. Verse 3, it says, He whom you love is sick. Everybody knew it. Verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 36 says that the crowd said, See how he loved him. And I just love the way we see the love of Jesus displayed here uh, and, and expressed in this chapter. First of all, uh, it says that Jesus made this two day trip to be with those that he loved. He didn't have to do that. He could have just sent word back with the messenger, hey, tell the sisters, I love you guys. But instead, he wanted to be there in person to, to express that one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, he could have raised Lazarus from the dead from a distance, right? A two-day journey is nothing to Jesus. He could have just thought it or whispered it from a distance, Lazarus come forth, and he would have gotten up out of his grave. He didn't have to go, but he wanted, listen to this, 
Jesus, because he loved them, he wanted to be present. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be close. And that's how he loves. In fact, let's be honest. That's what true love does. True love shows up when you're hurting. It's one thing to just send word. It's another thing when you show up. True love shows up. And I just want you to know Jesus loves you like that. When you're hurting, he knows. He knows. And he cares. And he sees it. And, and he'll be there for you. He'll be there. Because true love shows up. Jesus showed up there, but that's not all. Verse 33, remember it says, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then verse 35 says that he wept. Jesus cried with them. Listen, Jesus, we get a really unique glimpse into the humanity of Jesus here. That he was deeply moved and he, and he chose not to contain his emotion as a person, but he let it out. He cried with his friends. Think about that. The Savior of the world, the Lord of all, the King of kings, cried with his friends. He was touched by their tears. He was moved by their grief. And, and that tells me this. Jesus loves you enough to cry with you. And so that unkind thing that somebody did to you last week that made you cry, that disappointment that you've suffered, that grief that you're dealing with, that loneliness that you feel, the friend who turned their back on you. If you're hurting, just know Jesus loves you enough to show up and he loves you enough to cry with you. He gets it. He understands. And so for the hurting, he gives love. But really the highlight is this second one. For the dead, he gives life. Look back to verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection and life. That's really the only thing that was going to change the situation for this man, Lazarus. Because Lazarus was dead. He wasn't just dead. He was really dead. Lazarus was four days in the tomb, wrapped up like a mummy, stinking dead when Jesus got there. And in order for that death to be reversed, Lazarus needed a resurrection. And for a resurrection to happen, it, he, he, he needed to overcome the death and to come back to life. And, and no matter how great Lazarus was, he couldn't do that. Lazarus could not overcome his death. He was just dead. Only Jesus can overcome death and bring about a resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now notice, Jesus did not just claim to have resurrection and life. He didn't just... Uh, come and, and say, I understand the theological uh, issues of resurrection and life. Jesus owned it. 
He embodied it. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, when Jesus shows up, resurrection shows up, life shows up. To know Jesus is to know resurrection and life. To believe in Jesus is to have resurrection and life. Now, that's awesome if you're Lazarus, but what about us? What does it mean for us? Well, spiritually speaking, listen, spiritually speaking, we in our natural state as sinners without the Lord, we are as dead spiritually as Lazarus was physically. Ephesians 2.5 describes our condition in our natural state as sinners separated from God. It says, we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. And that is the spiritual reality for everyone without Christ. Apart from Jesus, even while you're physically alive and active and thinking and walking around, you're dead in your sins without Jesus. In other words, you carry around with you, and all of us know this, we see it around us, we, we, uh, we know it from our own testimony, if you're saved, you know what this was like, that without Jesus, yeah, you're walking around, you're thinking, you're searching, but without him, you carry around in yourself the curse of that sin, and, and that you carry around with you the death that sin causes, and only Jesus has the power and the authority to reverse that curse and bring you to life. That's why Jesus said in chapter 3 of John's gospel to a man named Nicodemus, look, if you want to have life, you must be born again. You have to be born again. You were born physically, but you're dead in your sins. You have to be born again in order to have life. And only Jesus can give you that. And so that makes the question Jesus asked Martha in verse 26 the most important question of your life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will have life. They will never die. And then look what he said in verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's not just a question for Martha. That's a question for me and for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he came to do, and that he has paid for your sins when he went to the cross? And he's opened up the door of salvation for you. And if you believe in him, you have life. He brings you out of your deadness in sin, and he brings you to life. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus asked. Do you, do you believe this? All right, last thing. And uh, this is not the focus here, but I, I can't leave without saying this. Uh, remember the gifts that Jesus gives for the hurting, he gives love. For the dead, he gives life. And uh, here's the last one. For the bound, he gives liberty. For the bound, he gives liberty. Uh, look back to verse 44. Crazy verse. Verse 44. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So when Lazarus 
came out of the grave. A minute ago, he was dead, decaying. Now, Jesus has brought him to life, and he comes out of the grave, but he's still bound up, wrapped up in those grave clothes of death. Can you imagine that scene? Lazarus comes hopping, shuffling out of that cave, bound and gagged. He can't walk. He can barely move. He can't speak. He has life, but he does not have liberty. He has life. He doesn't have liberty. And I don't want to stretch the meaning too far here, but at this stage, Lazarus is like so many people today. He's saved, but he's not enjoying it. He has life, but he's not loose yet. Lazarus was alive, but he was still bound up in his grave clothes. He was still smelling like death. He needed to be unwrapped and set free to live the life that Jesus gave him. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus did not come just to give you an escape from hell. He came, John 10, 10, that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus does not intend for you to be saved and then to be bound up in the grave clothes of your old life. But so many Christians are still bound up tangled up by all the old loves and the old lies and the old sins of their old life. Jesus came, listen to me, Jesus came to set you free from all that, to give you liberty, to take off those old grave clothes and to set you free to walk in your new life. Why do we keep wrapping ourselves back up in those old lies and old lusts and old loves of our deadness when Jesus came to set us free? Some of us, we just need to get set free today. So let's stand together. And uh, here's what I want to do. I want us to, as uh, Nick comes to lead us as we sing, I want to go to prayer and have a time of commitment And so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I I pray for anyone here who is spiritually as Lazarus was physically in the grave, dead in their sins. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring the dead to life. Thank you for your death on the cross where you took our sin. You died the death that we deserve so that we could be alive and set free. I pray that if there's anyone here who's never before trusted in you, Jesus, that today they would believe and be saved and come to life. I pray that even today as you're standing at the cave of some person who is dead in their sins, And saying to them, come forth, that they will respond, they would believe, and that their life would be changed today. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who are alive spiritually, but we're still bound up in the grave clothes of death. God, set us free. Loose us. Give us liberty to live this abundant life that you died to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.